This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to a podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here. Welcome in. We. Episode 412 of the podcast in Assuming America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Thursday, July 29, 2021, people. And boy, oh boy, oh boy. Do we have a loaded episode of the Aratoras podcast for you today? We are going to jump around to a few different things. We're going to open with as the Big 12 turns. That is right. The Big 12 cease and desist ESPN. They believe ESPN has not been playing very fair over these last couple weeks. Fascinating story. From there, we'll get into another really interesting story, in my opinion. Quinn Ewers, the number one high school football quarterback in America, has actually uh, announced that he is considering reclassifying. The reason being name image likeness he believes that by not going to college he will leave upwards of a million dollars on the table this year as a high school football player fascinating story I do believe this is an unintended consequence of the name image likeness era from there this is the deal we will get back to the Texas Oklahoma stuff my buddy Chris Plank he is a host on Fox Sports Radio but he is also the Oklahoma football sideline reporter travels with the team knows the team as well as anyone in the media and we just break down this Oklahoma Texas thing from a million different angles as we hit on Texas Oklahoma what does it mean for the Big 12 what does it mean for the SEC all that good stuff and then from there I will wrap briefly on the NBA draft which is actually starting on uh, Thursday it doesn't start on Thursday it is on Thursday we have no hype for it all so I'll just give you a couple storylines to look for I should mention we will do a bonus episode Thursday night into Friday recapping the NBA draft I should mention there will be a little bit of an announcement on Friday's show that is coming up but let's get to the topic of the day and boy oh boy oh boy is it a doozy? And before I get into it, let me just say, this opening segment's going to be really quick. If you listen to this show, you know the big topic of the day, I usually try to, I usually try to, to make it a meaty, you know, 8, 12, 15, 20 minutes, whatever it is. This one's going to be really quick because it is a complicated legal situation, and I'm not going to sit here and lie and pretend that I am a legal expert and can, can explain all of it. Maybe next week we'll get my buddy Dan Lust on. Maybe we'll talk about it more, but I do want to hit, off, hit on it off the top because it is a fascinating subject, and it is the story that broke Wednesday as it pertains to the Texas-Oklahoma realignment stuff. And what's crazy about this Texas-Oklahoma realignment stuff is how quickly it has all come together. It was literally just a week ago that Texas and Oklahoma seemed to be happy members of the Big 12. And then, of course, we get the report from the Houston Chronicle last Wednesday that they want to leave for the SEC. We think it's crazy, all these things, blah, 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 this and that. 
by Monday, as I was literally recording Monday's episode of the Aaron Torres podcast, they officially ask out of the Big 12, tell the Big 12, we are not signing with you past 2025. And then, of course, there is the SEC component to it, as on Tuesday, Oklahoma and Texas officially asked into the SEC, basically shot the SEC a DM saying, hey, what are you guys doing in 2025? You guys want to grab a cup of coffee, grab a beer, grab a soda, grab a soda pop, root beer? What do you want to do? Let's get together. Maybe before 2025. We'll see. And so those were the latest updates, at least until Wednesday, when we got a headline to end all headlines as the Big 12 has now sent a cease and desist letter to their their television partner, their business partner, ESPN. And here's a little bit of the backstory why. Because I think when you see a headline, Big 12 sends cease and desist letter to ESPN, I think the natural assumption is, well, man, they must have pretty good proof that ESPN tampered with Texas and Oklahoma and that they served as a conduit to get Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC. And that may still be the case. But eventually, we saw the cease and desist letter from the Big 12, courtesy of our buddy Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated, friend of the Aaron Torres podcast. Uh, Ross Dellinger got a copy of the letter, and what the letter says is actually very interesting. It's not only that the Big 12 is accusing ESPN of necessarily messing with Texas and Oklahoma, but that since all of this went down, ESPN is actually actively trying to help the other eight teams in the Big 12 that are not Texas and Oklahoma. I'm talking about TCU. I'm talking about Oklahoma State. I'm talking about Kansas State, Iowa State. They're trying to help these schools find other conferences. And so most of it would be to the AAC, which is, of course, where Houston and Memphis and Cincinnati and Central Florida are. But the point is, is that you talk about a major potential breach of contract as the ESPN is helping create the demise of the Big 12 and also trying to help other schools find homes in theory to eventually get out of the Big 12 contract. And so it hasn't gone unnoticed. And Bob Bowlesby, the commissioner of the Big 12, sent a cease and desist. And it was a very strongly worded cease and desist letter. And beyond that, I'll take it a step further. He also released a bunch of statements to the AP. First of all, this was an interesting one. He said, I have absolute certainty that they, ESPN, have been involved in manipulating other conferences to go after our members. Texas, Oklahoma, SEC, but then the AAC with the other eight teams. From there, Bowlesby continued. He talked about Texas and Oklahoma. He believes that they have been working together for months to get rid of the Big 12, and his exact quote was, this whole thing has been a complete articulation of deception. You talk about, what a quote, an articulation of deception, and what Bob Bowlesby is basically saying is like, look, basically ESPN is trying to help other schools find landing spots so that that Texas and Oklahoma can more quickly get out of their ESPN contract, or get out of their Big 12 contract, and you talk about a crazy conflict of interest this is it if ESPN is helping other schools find homes to blow up the Big 12 to get Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC faster I mean I'm not a lawyer again but you talk about just what could potentially happen in a court of law it is absolutely incredible to think about and so with it I really only have two thoughts the first one it's pretty simple is if you go back to Monday's episode, one of the topics that I hit on was just about the idea of 
just about the idea that, um, you know, j- just what happens to the other eight Big 12 teams. And I talked about the possibility that they land in other conferences. I talked about the possibility that maybe other conferences do not want them. I thought it was interesting that the Pac-12 commissioner uh, said at media days this week that they are not in a rush to go to eight teams or to go past 12 teams, excuse me, to add teams. And it just really depends on the circumstances before they make any final decisions. I bring that up to say that as it pertains to this specific story, I also mentioned the idea that there's a possibility that these eight schools may be able to stay together. And the idea came from my buddy Clay Travis, formerly of Fox Sports Radio, where he basically said, look, because there is so clearly a conflict of interest between ESPN and the Big 12, this was before Wednesday's news, because it's clear that ESPN is helping strengthen the SEC while weakening the Big 12, ESPN may be obligated to keep the Big 12 together and pay them the full totality of their TV contract. And so one, I think it's possible that whatever happens with Texas and Oklahoma, depending on what happens legally, ESPN could be required to pay these Big 12 schools a bunch of money and the Big 12 as a whole a bunch of money because they very clearly breached the contract. And if this all is true, then they are going to be in big, big, big trouble for trying to tear down an entity that is supposed to be their business partner called the Big 12. Secondly, what I would just say is like the bottom line is what I told you. The Big 12 is going to fight tooth and nail to survive because I will say that no matter what you think of the AAC or the, there is no better option for Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, Baylor, TCU, Kansas State, maybe Iowa State, maybe Kansas, than there is than staying in the Big 12. And so they are going to fight, they are going to battle, they are going to argue, they are going to do every single thing that they can to keep this going as long as they can and hope they can convince at some point Texas and Oklahoma to stay. Now, at the end of the day, it's worth noting, if Texas and Oklahoma won out, at the latest, they can leave after the 2024-2025 season, be in the SEC in time for the start of the 2025 season. But the only reason I bring this up is to say this. The Big 12 is going to fight because these eight schools need to fight. And so I, I've never understood this narrative that the Big 12 was going, or the SEC was going to have Texas and Oklahoma by next season. I think there's going to be a big legal battle. I think it's going to be ugly. I think it's going to be sloppy. Texas and Oklahoma are eventually going to get to the SEC, but it is not going to be without a fight. And as Forrest Gump said, that's all I really have to say about this big, complicated legal issue, but I had to talk about it on today's Aaron podcast. All right, one last little football topic before we get to my buddy Chris Plank, uh, and it's a real interesting one, and, and I think, listen, if you listen to the Aaron Torres podcast regularly, you know that while I talk about a lot of stuff, uh, one of the things that I don't generally talk about is high school football recruiting, college football recruiting, because the bottom line is um, th- th- it's just not an easy topic to cover on a national level. There's so many guys, so many different schools, and the bottom line is most of these guys aren't going to have an immediate impact in college basketball the way that the elite freshman basketball or uh, in college football the way that the elite freshman players do in basketball just as an example the number one high school quarterback in this previous class of 2021 his name is Caleb Williams committed to Oklahoma he's probably not even going to play at Oklahoma this year except in backup duty because Oklahoma has a star named Spencer Rattler that's learning under him Spencer Rattler as a freshman didn't play as he backed up Jalen Hurts and so I bring all this up to say I don't talk a ton of high school football recruiting but there is an interesting topic that did 
big pop-up on Wednesday that I feel like it needs to be addressed, and it comes in the form of the number one quarterback in the high school class of 2022. So a player going into his senior year of high school, his name is Quinn Ewers, he is a quarterback in Dallas, and it appears as though he is going to skip his senior year of high school to go play college football right away. And if this was simply a story of reclassification, I would not talk about it. But what is interesting about it is it's not just that he is reclassifying, it is that he, or he is considering it, that no decision has been made to be clear, but he is considering reclassifying for one simple reason. He believes that he can make money right now due to the name image likeness laws and, and rules at the college level. He cannot make money via name image likeness at the high school level, and so he might just skip his senior year of high school to go to college to start making money. And let me just say this. While I completely understand why he would consider this option, while I completely understand that every person has a right to make money, I've never fought against name image likeness, I'll also say this. I don't really like it. I feel kind of bad. And I do think this is going to be one of the unintended consequences of the name image likeness era in college football and college basketball. And so to get into it, I think I just kind of gave you most of the rundown, but this kid is a really, really, really special player. You can go ahead and find his clips on YouTube, but he is the number one quarterback going into the senior year of high school 2022 class, uh, committed to Ohio State. He's a little bit of a legend already, 73 touchdown passes over the course of the last two seasons, 6,400 yards passing. And what makes him so special is not only is he really talented, he's got a very unique look to him. I actually saw him at the Elite 11 camp about two, three weeks ago here in Los Angeles. One, his game is awesome. Got a little Johnny Manziel wiggle to him. Really fun player to watch, uh, even in workouts and warm-ups and things like that. But he also, again, has a very unique look. Uh, he's got a mullet. He's got a bleached mullet, and he is the kind of guy that has a, a unique skill set and in a unique look, and it appears as though he's somebody that will absolutely someday cash in on name image likeness. What is interesting about name image likeness, though, is that while it's very clear at the college level what's allowed, basically anything, at the high school level, it is much more vague. Some, some, most, some states, many states actually, don't really have anything that specifically says whether you can or cannot make money off of your name, image, and likeness at the high school level. But one state that does is actually the state of Texas. And in the state of Texas, it is actually written into the law that high school players, that athletes cannot make money off name, image, likeness until they get to a... Uh, a higher education level. In other words, until you get to college, it is written in the law, it is written into the legislation, and so while this kid appealed that law in the state of Texas, the, the, the controlling board of Texas High School Athletics basically said, look, it's the law. There is nothing we can do about this. This kid believes he can make money right away, upwards of a million dollars, according to a report from Yahoo Sports. There is actually one kind of uh, Whole Foods type uh, uh, you know, uh, product in the, the area where he lives that is willing to give him equity in the company. And so this kid is just basically kind of saying, look, I can stay and play college high school football for another year, or I can leave a year early, go to college, and start making money right away. And it's kind of an interesting scenario. It's a unique story for sure. And in a lot of ways, to be honest, he kind of has the same decision that basically any college football or college basketball player has had up until 
the last year or so. In other words, do I jump up a level? In the old days, it was from college to the pros, make money right away, um, you know, immediately be able to cash checks, or do I stay at this level and essentially play for free? Because right now, Texas high school law says that he cannot make money off his name, image, likeness, even though his parents believe that there is upwards of a million dollars to be made. And so when I look at this story in the bigger picture, what I would just say is a couple things. First of all, there was a lot of jokes on social media um, about the idea of Texas rewriting its laws on the fly for this kid. And to be honest, I really wouldn't be surprised. First of all, we have seen craziness with Texas and Oklahoma and the Big 12 and the SEC. We've seen craziness with NIL. And if it comes down to all of Texas's top high school football players either leaving the state, not playing, reclassifying, going to college, then I'll be honest, they really might re- rewrite those laws and rewrite rewrite everything that was written previously to make sure that these kids stay and play high school football. Beyond that, what I would also say, and I want to get into just my, my overall opinion on this really quickly, what I would say is I hope most of you have heard me on this show enough to know I am not against name image likeness. I hope that is explicitly explained as I've said a million times. I make money off my name, image, likeness. I've never understood why college athletes cannot do the same, whether it is Cameo, whether it is an autograph signing, whether it is sending out a tweet, whether it is sending out uh, an Instagram post. I've always believed that college athletes should be able to use their platforms, which are increasingly getting bigger at the college level to make money. I've never had a problem with it. But I do believe this is kind of the beginning of maybe if you want to call it the unintended consequences of name image likeness or at very least the slippery slope of name image likeness. I do think this is the beginning. And to be clear, before we continue, I'm just going to say it one more time. I'm not against players making money off name image likeness. I'm not against players. I'm not against anybody making money selling autographs, signing stuff, uh, taking pictures, whatever it is, going on Cameo. But at the same time, I do think it inherently puts a lot of pressure on these young kids in many cases before they're ready for it. And the crazy thing is, if you've listened to this show for years, I told you this was coming. As somebody who covers college sports, I knew once the agents get involved, the money's going to start to get crazy. And that is exactly what we're seeing. We heard Nick Saban say that his starting quarterback, Bryce Young, might make a million dollars before he ever takes a snap as Alabama's starter. Uh, Don't know if it's true or not. Some people think Saban was uh, bragging or overselling it for the fact that, uh, you know, he's trying to sell his football program a little bit. But it's clear Bryce Young is going to make a ton of money before he ever plays a down of, of football at Alabama as the starting quarterback. Mikey Williams, number one. I don't even think he's number one. Top 10 junior basketball player he's a junior in high school going into this fall so he's halfway through high school just signed with one of the biggest sports agencies in America uh, and it could be a millionaire before he gets out of high school before ultimately he's accomplished anything we're not even talking about uh, you know doing it at the college level he's halfway through his high school career and we're talking about him as a millionaire finally this Quinn Ewers kid Um, could make upwards of a million dollars if he goes to Ohio State this year. And oh, by the way, even if he doesn't, if the Texas laws were written a little bit different, he probably could have made a million dollars as a high school player this year. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. All I am saying is I do think it's an unintended consequence, and I do think it puts a ton of pressure on these kids. Pressure that is is a lot for an 18-year-old. That's all I'm trying to say. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. But think about how we're professionalizing athletics for kids. It's no longer about playing. It's no longer about being part of a team. It's no longer about competing. It's no longer about getting better. It's simply about making the most money as fast as you can. That's good. Money's good. It makes the world go round. But there are, again, unintended consequences. Think about the fact. Think about if this kid, Quinn Ewers, shows up to Ohio State tomorrow. 
worth a million dollars, going to make a million dollars, but he's probably fourth on the depth chart, right? What happens if he doesn't play this year? What happens if he doesn't play next year? What happens if all of a sudden those Instagram posts that were going for however many thousands per pop stop showing up? Then what happens if dumb people in the media start labeling him a bust? You know, we talk about, we've talked especially this week about mental health of young people, and all I'm saying is I don't want to, I don't want anybody not to make money, but I do think it inherently puts a lot of pressure on 16, 17, 18, 19-year-old kids to be millionaires before they have accomplished anything. And it's something that, again, we have seen so often in sports before this. I've been doing this for so long. I mean, I can name you a million names. Lenny Cook was at one point considered the best high school player in America, even better than LeBron James. He has a documentary where he basically says, at 16 years old, I started hanging out with agents, I started dating women half twice my age, excuse me, 20s, 30s, whatever. I, I got caught up and, and I didn't, you know, I, I thought I had made it before I had made it. There's other examples in basketball, there's other examples in football, and all I'm saying is there's nothing wrong with making a little bit of side cash, but when you start talking about being a millionaire at 17, 18 years old, a millionaire, not you know, we're not talking about being a millionaire as a junior in college. We're not talking about Justin Fields last year being a millionaire after he's won a Big Ten title, been a Heisman finalist, made a college football playoff. We're talking about being two steps away from the pros, having accomplished nothing at the college level, and already making that much money. So I don't know if this point is making sense. I I don't want to keep rambling all night long because I do want to get to Chris Plank, but I just want to say, um, you know, this is going to be a very interesting story, and I do think we're going to see more and more and more of these stories of players younger, 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 making money, having to make adult decisions. Do I want to skip my senior year of high school? Do I want to skip my junior year of high school? Do I, uh, you know, what happens again, and I, I know it's a cliche talking point, but what happens when it doesn't work out? What happens when I have to transfer? What happens when I was the number one player in America and it doesn't work out? I know uh, there's nothing wrong with making money, but I guess I just worry about it a little bit. And I think Quinn Ewers, he's the first example of the potentially slippery slope of name image likeness. So yeah, interesting story with Quinn Ewers. And listen, I, I, you know, I just thought that was an interesting story. I had a unique opinion on it, and I wanted to get it out there. And uh, you know, it's one of those stories, man. You know, the, we're we're learning more about this name, image, likeness, one-time transfer, all the consequences that come with it. But I just bring it up to say it is a fascinating topic. I did want to hit on it. And with that said, it's now time to switch gears. Because my buddy Chris Plank is coming up, and I know I started the show with Big 12 stuff, SEC stuff, and I want to go back to it. Because as I said, Chris Plank, my buddy from Fox Sports Radio, he is also the Oklahoma football sideline reporter, travels with the team, meets with Lincoln Riley weekly, meets with the AD weekly. This guy knows Oklahoma better than anybody. So I figured I'd bring him on. I figured I'd let him talk about what's going on. Now, it's worth noting that I did have him on before this ESPN kerfuffle with the Big 12 uh, and the tampering and accusations and cease and desist. I don't think it really matters from the Oklahoma and Texas perspective, but I did want to mention that. So Chris Plank coming up on the back end. I will then talk about uh, a little bit about the NBA draft because this thing, nobody is paying attention. This thing is coming Thursday, and I'll hit on a few topics heading into the NBA draft. All right, joining me via Zoom. Um, you know, great thing about this profession that I'm in, this business that I'm in, you get to meet a lot of cool people 
in a lot of different parts of the country. And one guy, uh, you know, we're kindred spirits, also host on Fox Sports Radio, but also sideline reporter for the Oklahoma Sooners, hosts on Sooner Sports Network. We talk off offline all the time about all this crazy stuff, Chris Plank. So I figured I'd just hit record and, and you know, wherever it goes, it goes, my man. How you doing? Doing good, AT. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is the first. We've done several shows on Fox Sports Radio together. Um, but I think this is the first time we've had a chance to talk on the podcast. So obviously um, it took some pretty amazing sets of circumstances to finally get to this point. But hey, man, I'm pumped to finally catch up with you and uh, be on the pod. So my first question, well, really the first question within the, the, the first question, how did all of this stay quiet for so long? Because when the news broke, um, you know, I hope you're comfortable with me saying this, but I called you. Um, oh, I, yeah. We, yeah, we both saw the headline, Oklahoma, Texas to the SEC, and we both kind of said, something doesn't really add up here. Um, and it took me, but it didn't take very long to see that it wasn't really that they were, they wanted to leave for the SEC as much as that they were very much going to ask out of their TV contract no later than 2025. So, how did all this stay so quiet for so long? You're on the beat. You're in Norman. Uh, just get, what happened? How did this happen the way that it did? Seems like it was a really tight circle, Aaron, yeah. of, of people that were in the know. And, uh, you know, just, you know, kind of based on what we've learned since, it may have been a president, an AD, maybe a coach, from one university, a president and an AD from a second university, uh, and then a commissioner. And it, it, again, you know, that four or five person circle appeared to be it. And then is what's amazing to me is again, and a lot of this is just, uh, assuming and obviously applying some logic when that president started to go around and talking to or excuse me, that commissioner started talking to other presidents. He realized there was maybe one or two presidents he shouldn't <laughs> say anything to yeah. because he knew what was going to happen, which is exactly what happened. Uh, and once it got around to Texas A&M, and they couldn't wait to try to get that narrative set where they could stop this. I, you know, we were having this conversation on my local show yesterday because I, I guess you could say as we taped this, it's the one-week anniversary of the news breaking, AT. And I can't help but wonder if this story hadn't leaked. Right. Let's go back to last Wednesday. And on Monday, when that release came from Oklahoma and Texas, would we have immediately thought, oh, my gosh, they're going to the SEC? You know, would that have been the original thought or would it have been Oklahoma is going to go do its own thing and Texas is going to go independent? Right. So I, I, I kind of think of it in, in different levels, but I'm just. I'm fascinated. I'm shocked that this thing played out as quietly as it did. You've, I was trying to do the math in my head. You've got essentially, you know, six TV stations that cover, and, and you could add a seven. There's three stations in Tulsa, three stations in Oklahoma City. There's a independent station. There's, um, you know, a rival site, Sooner Scoop. There's OU 24-7, OU Insider. There's, uh, there's a Football Insiders. There's uh, the Athletic. There's the Tulsa World, the Oklahoman, and all of these entities that regularly cover the team, not a hint. Not a word. It's being up there as far as the biggest surprise since Bob Stoops' retirement, if not bigger. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was an un, it was an unknown, and it's still amazing to me how it was kept so quiet. Yeah, and, and what I would ask you is when, how, how quickly? Because, like I said, you and I kind of just chatted chatted on the phone very briefly. 
Um, and what stood out to me was that first night, and I said this on my, 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 my Monday podcast, was I think my initial reaction was Texas, Oklahoma, SEC sounds great on paper. Um, but, you know, there's a million things. The SEC has to vote in. Uh, the Big 12 right. ha- is going to do their legal thing. There's TV contracts. There's this, there's that. And within about, I would say, five, six, seven hours of the, uh, you know, t- uh, Houston Chronicle report, you then see the narrative change to it's not Texas, Oklahoma, SEC. It's Texas and Oklahoma, as I said a minute ago, are going to ask out of their grant and rights TV contract essentially as soon as the Big 12 contract is done in 2025. So it, it was that the moment for you that you realized, hey, it's moving a little bit quicker than I thought? Or was there a moment, was there a different moment for you that you said, wow, this is going pretty fast? No, it was, yeah, it was that moment, you know. I, and I, I still think even, even whenever, you know, you and I talked, I didn't, I didn't know for sure if it was legit. You know, I live in in Norman. I live just out. Well, technically, I'm I'm in my garage in Goldsby, which is essentially you know five minutes from Norman. You get on the highway and boom, you're there. So I'm as the crow would fly. I'm like two miles from campus. So I live in the heart of Norman. My radio show that's locally is talking Sooners twenty four seven three sixty five. So when this story first comes out. My initial response is, uh, here we go, another another conference realignment rumor. Welcome to what's always a fun summer conversation. I feel like we do this every year, if not every other year. And there was a lot of fan dissatisfaction with the Big 12. I loved the Big 12. <laughs> I really did, but there's a lot, and do. I mean, there's it's still there. But there's a lot of fan dissatisfaction. They wanted to be with the big dogs. They hated the narrative. The home schedule was frustrating. It was there were so many different things that had led to frustration from the fan base about the Big 12 in general. Some of it just maybe. So I give that background to say these conversations feel like they've happened every year since Oklahoma and Texas and the other eight schools decided we're sticking together. We're not going to the Pac-12. We're going to make this Big 12 thing work. And every so often, there'd be a little bit of a national help to the narrative as well. So I, w- when I first saw this, even as, you know, when you and I talked, I thought to myself, okay, I'm not going to get too carried away. But when neither program, when the statement that came out from both was, we won't comment on every single rumor, you're like, whoa. And then, you know, there's a lot of holy S moments in this whole thing. Uh, that was first, and when they were the exact same statement, that's where you sit back and you thought, okay, that seems odd. And then the second time, whenever you maybe were a little bit shocked, was when there was the report that the Big 12 was having an emergency call, right? And then Oklahoma and Texas wasn't going to be in it. You're like, sure. Oh, oh, my gosh. So you start reaching out to officials. You know, I reach out to my bosses at Oklahoma, and, you know, you're, understandably, you're not hearing anything. And Oklahoma, to its credit, the only thing that that you've heard so far are official processes, right? You haven't seen a lot of um, you haven't seen a lot of buzz from Oklahoma reporters outside of speculation. There hasn't really been any sources tell me if you follow this. And I'm, that's, that's not a knock. Um, that's just the reality of kind of how business is done at OU. It's very buttoned up. So with all that said, I, I, I am someone who's constantly. Uh, cynic and um, when it comes to conference realignment because we do it every single year so I'd honest I just had thought oh gosh here here we go 
You know, I, I love Brett Zwerman to death, but what does he know about the Big 12? He hasn't covered it in a decade. And then, you know, I didn't even realize till the next morning that, oh, my gosh, Texas A&M really doesn't want Texas here. That's why this is out now. They want to start changing the narrative. And now you talk about looking back, everything comes together. It's like, oh, okay, well, this came from the Houston Chronicle because Texas A&M wanted to try to change the narrative. They thought people would rally around not wanting Texas there. They thought that there would be this groundswell of how dare they, you're supposed to be the only Texas school, when for them, unfortunately, the, the exact opposite happened. And here we are sitting here waiting for what we think is going to be an official official announcement by the end of this weekend. So just out of curiosity, what is the relationship? You know, we hear Texas, Oklahoma, this great rivalry, Red River, this, that, the other thing. Is this a, a marriage of convenience where basically these two schools kind of understand, like, we bring so much more value to this league than anybody else because we've always heard you know Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are tied at the hip Texas can't do anything without some other Texas schools involved and obviously look this was all fly you know under under the radar fly by night all that kind of stuff but that is also kind of a weird part to me not a surprising part necessarily but a weird part is these two schools that supposedly hate each other are basically uh you know uh, uh tied at the hip here you know I think that's a credit to uh, a couple of people, right? Number one, obviously, the best AD in the game, Joe Castiglione, who understands the OU Oklahoma athletic director, who understands that you don't always need to be best friends <laughs> with the people that you're working with. They can be your rivals and you can have success. Um, and then I would say right there with Joe C is Joseph Harris. And for, you know, I'll, I'll get in the weeds here real quick, Aaron. Because I, I feel like on your pod, you give people the true story behind things, and they need to know Joseph Harris is the president at the University of Oklahoma. I think, and, and this is going to be a rough time frame, I think he's uh, the third president they've had in the last, you know, maybe four years. And that's not, it's not as if this had been a revolving door. You know, David Bourne was the president forever. And I don't think David Bourne was ever too keen on Oklahoma wanting to be an SEC school. Really? Because, Why do you say that? Sorry, yeah, he just I, I think in his mind, Aaron, his vision was the academic side, his vision. Sure, he was a big sports fan. You know, he hired Joe Castiglione, he hired Patty Gasso, he hired Sherry Cole. And uh, essentially, he was involved in the hiring and hired Bob Stoops. So he, he was an incredible sports fan. But I think his ultimate vision for Oklahoma was probably in the line of the Big Ten. You know, he wanted to be in the AAU. He wanted to be in the uh, institute uh, the uh, academic university institution and that was you know even if you go back a decade now when this first happened I, I think you know in his mind again speaking for him now you know a couple years later I don't think he was ever too keen on the SEC I think Joseph Harris now as the president kind of looks at it and you've got fresh blood at Texas with a very smart athletic director and Chris Del Conte and a forward-thinking president and Jay Hartzell you get Jay Hartzell and Joseph Harris together these are guys that aren't really bound by you know this I don't want to say antiquated mindset. Oklahoma and Texas can still hate each other, but they realize the value of themselves together. And they're not stuck in, we need to be this as an athletic department in order to be this as a university. And I think that before it was, we need to be a part of this conference or of this entity in order for our university to be viewed as this kind of academic mindset. With all that said, you finally get a president and an athletic director whose ultimate vision is a I mean, come on, a, a, a program changing kind of a move. And they realize 
the best way to do that is to, you know, walk lockstep with your partner. You know, that you and I had talked about this, and I know I keep going back to it, but I think we all had kind of lived of an understanding that Oklahoma and Oklahoma State couldn't do anything without each other, yes. right? That there thought, was yeah. some – and, and uh, apparently as we've as we found out is everyone and all the reporters start to dig into this, that was something that was brought up 10 years ago that everyone just kind of went with that was not really – there there wasn't anything legislatively that could bind or bound the two together so once that realization was truly understood I think everyone and not, Oklahoma always knew that I meant that from fans I think everyone started to get comfortable with the idea of working with Texas working together and securing that invite to the SEC which you know you hope materializes throughout the weekend and and I'll say this I don't think they go into this without like knowing for certain they're getting that SEC invite well, and that was going to be kind of, you know, my follow-up is, is do you see anything, is there any way by 2025 at the latest that Oklahoma and Texas are not SEC schools, whether that could be, and I know you're not a lawyer and all that stuff, but legally from the Big sure. 12's perspective, um, I don't see the scenario where the SEC does not vote these schools in because, as you said, they have other options. I mean, that really plank has been my big takeaway, and tell me if you think I'm crazy. I actually think Oklahoma and Texas have all the leverage here because, you you know, I'm reading all these articles about Greg Sankey, mastermind, genius, this, that. And then on the other side, Greg Sankey's ruining college sports. And, and I just sit here and say, if Texas and Oklahoma are leaving, someone is going to take them. And it's his responsibility to do what's best for his league. And so they actually hold the leverage because, as you said, maybe a Big Ten invite gets extended, maybe a Pac-12, whatever. And all of a sudden, you're the one all of a sudden that let them get away, let them get to the Pac-12, Big Ten, let them sign a huge TV. I just feel like Texas and Oklahoma have all the leverage here. Maybe we'll get to the the, the first question I asked second, but is that sure. fair to say? Um, I'd love to believe it as somebody who's very much painted in crimson and cream. I'd, I'd love to believe that. I think, too, on the legal side and just, you know, to further brag on our president, Joseph Harris, you know, that's his background. He was the dean slash I don't know if it's the term the president, but he was the head of the law school, oh, you wow. know, for the 20. So, you know, to kind of interweave that back to this, Joseph Harris, the new president, isn't someone that just came in and won the job dude's been on campus for like 30 years as the president of the law school. So, you know, now you have a guy that understands all the legalese. I just, as much as that would be a wild twist to this, I don't think all three entities go into this and it reaches this point without it being guaranteed on all ends. Hey, someone might swipe, um, swoop, swipe, swoop, whatever it be. Someone might dive in. How's that? And, and try to take either one of us or, you know, maybe another bid is submitted from someone else or some other league. But at the core of all that, I think that there is a major entity beyond the SEC, beyond Oklahoma and Texas that wants to make sure this happens. And that's TV and that's ESPN. So as long as this is, these are all theories of a college football mind. These aren't necessarily reports by any stretch of the imagination, but I think the, I think the the ESPN side of this and the money that they've invested and probably look now to kind of maybe push away from the Big 12, I think that has a major part in making sure that OU and Texas to the SEC is the way that this goes. So then that's the next follow-up. You know, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, Kansas State, Kansas. Um, 
I don't think it's a pretty picture. And and I something that I've argued, and I saw the Pac-12 commissioner basically confirm it yesterday at Pac-12 Media Days, is the idea that you know you have to go to 16 because the SEC went to 16. And and I said the SEC is going to 16 because Oklahoma and Texas called. If Iowa State and and uh, you know whoever Texas Tech called. I think Greg Sankey's uh, pretending that it's the wrong number and uh, new phone who this. And so, you know, <laughs> so like what becomes of them? Because we basically learned the reason Texas and Oklahoma are leaving is because uh, media, uh, the media basically deems the other eight teams really don't have much value to a TV contract. And so if I'm the Pac-12, I, I know it makes sense on paper. Well, the SEC went to 16, so we have to. But if Texas Tech and Baylor don't make you any money, don't help the bottom line, don't help you get more bids into a 12-team college football playoff, what's the point of adding them? If they don't bring more households, if they don't bring more TV ratings, you know, Rutgers and Maryland are both in the Big Ten right now, not because of their incredible prowess on the gridiron, but because of the markets that they brought to the Big Ten network. They brought Washington, D.C., they brought New York. You don't have that in any of these schools in the Big 12 or the remaining eight or the uh, orphan date or, or however, you know, the irate eight is what I've heard. It's, you know, I, I want to believe everyone lands on their feet. I really do. Um, I, I, I think that if if there was one if there was one thing that was any different, I think it could change anything. And that's if Kansas had anything in football, anything yes. in football. Right with that basketball program, they would be. I think they'd be a perfect fit in the Big Ten with that basketball program. So, unfortunately, it's just gosh, it's so bad football-wise, Aaron. And and maybe Lance Lee holds the guy to fix it. I hope he is. But you know, I I think it's going to be those are the two big unknowns right now. One of them: when does this move happen? When does Oklahoma and Texas truly end up playing in the SEC? And the second part of it, because it's kind of intertwined in this, what happens to those remaining eight teams? Um, I want to believe that there's incredible options, um, but I just, I don't think as we sit here taping this, I don't think anyone's in a knee jerk to expand for the sake of expanding. You know, there, some Oklahoma state people said, I, I hear we're contacting the big 10. That's great. But I don't think the Big Ten is looking at Oklahoma State and saying, get here, because if they had been, or at least if they had that mindset, why wouldn't that have been a road that the Big Ten was going down years ago? And I know Nebraska just lost its AAU accreditation, but, you know, the Big Ten isn't adding a school that's not in that uh, educational realm. It's just not. So I, I don't think the Big Ten is looking at any castaways unless – Unless the new AD at Kansas can do an incredible sales job about the importance of basketball, then that's likely. And, you know, Iowa State would fit as a good rival for Iowa, but I don't know if Iowa has that same mindset that A&M did, right? Maybe they say, we're going to have another Iowa school? No, we're Iowa. So the two options are, you know, break it up, go wherever you can. If it's powering up the American Athletic Conference or getting out to the Pac-12 or whatever it is, let's go. And that second option is, all right, who can we bring in here? to maintain a mindset or a spot in the power five? Anyone? I don't know. Is it Cincinnati? Is it UCF? Is it Memphis? Is it um, trying to poach someone? But who would you poach? Who would you, is it Boise State? Is it BYU? Um, I, I just don't know. And I think that's where the frustration is. And, you know, you've got now a vacancy at Missouri for their athletic director, and there's a lot of rumors that maybe a couple of the ADs in these orphaned eight schools could be candidates there. That throws another no tough spot in there. So it's, it's challenging right now because I don't 
think I don't think the climate is what it was 10 years ago, Aaron. And I wish basketball mattered more in this because Kansas would be picked up. And so would Baylor just like that. No, I agree 100 percent. A couple other ones. We'll get you out of here. First of all, you just referenced it. I'm seeing a lot of the, so I feel like I have a pretty good grasp on all of this. The one I don't have 2022. I've seen a lot of people that I respect say by as early as it could happen, Texas and Oklahoma could be in the SEC next year. I don't really see how that happens. Do you have a clear because because, you know, these eight schools are going to fight tooth and nail to make sure that, that, you know, first of all, even if they leave, we're going to get paid as much as we can, as long as we can. That's how we all would operate. So do you have a a clear understanding of why there seems to be this confidence that it could happen as early as 2022? I I think two, two two reasons why you hear it. Number one is that's how it's always gone before, right? Where Texas A&M is leaving after this, and the next thing you know, they're gone the next year. Same with Missouri and Nebraska. Man, I've lived conference realignment for 20 years now, and it always seems as if this is going to happen after X year, and then it's done right away. So that's one reason. Uh, But I think, number two, if that's the case, and I think this is the mindset that a lot of people have when they say that, if that's the case, then – everyone's finding a landing spot and they're finding it quick, right? Yes. That's, that's West Virginia's off, off to the ACC, Oklahoma state Baylor. I'm just putting the eight together. Oklahoma state Baylor, TCU, uh, Texas tech, um, who am I leaving out would be off to the, the, the pack 12 and they would help make them the pack 16 and then Kansas and oh, I'm leaving out Kansas state, Kansas yeah. and Iowa state, they'd be off to the uh, big 12 and maybe Kansas state ends up in the mountain West and everyone finds this happy landing spot. So there's no need to wait this out. That's if you're Oklahoma and you're Texas, that's probably your dream scenario because it's like, Oh, Hey, oh, you guys are breaking up. Oh, so sorry. We got to move on to the sec. I just don't think that's the reality. I, and listening to this guy, Pac-12 commissioner. Wow, he was – that's the first time I would heard him talk at Pac-12 media days, and I don't think he's going to knee-jerk for anything. And I think that the presidents and the ADs in that league were probably pretty refreshed to hear a guy that seemed to have his stuff together as much as he did. Now we'll see as time plays out, but there looked to be no panic whatsoever. And, Aaron, how about this? How about this? One other angle to it. And I know I'm, I'm not trying to filibuster here, but what if – what if these teams actually kind of win their little debate about little debate, this massive debate about what the 12 team playoffs going to look like, you know, then maybe they get into this and they say, well, well, you're right. We probably need to cap it at only X number of schools allowed from each conference. Then at that point, if you're the PAC 12, you go, all right, good. We're fine with it. We're good with 12 big 10 might say we're fine with 14. No need to add any. So I think that a lot of it will have to do with kind of how things end up playing out with this debate over the 12 team playoff and then overriding what does ESPN or Fox want? Because if they say, yeah, 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 we'll give you that TV deal. If you bring UCF or West Virginia or Oklahoma state, then I think it's going to end up factoring in in a big way for any of those eight remaining schools or any of those conferences, if they want to add to their, to their repertoire. Yeah, and I talked about that a little bit earlier is the the pushback that uh, there is, uh, you know, I think a lot of people are starting to scratch their chins, you know, like little uh, Dr. Evil here, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, Greg Sankey's negotiating with Texas and Oklahoma while he's also trying to get the playoff as big as it can. That's right. A couple questions, I'll let you go. 
first one is Texas as bad behind the scenes as everybody says they are because like you know that is part of this too like it feels like the SEC really is and I this maybe this is such a, like a bad cliche that I've bought into you know that everybody really does have a say now does Alabama have a little bit of a bigger say than Vanderbilt yeah probably but it seems as though there's kind of a mutual respect among everybody in the league. Um, and I have only heard not good things. I, I can't say I know firsthand, but whether it's AM people, whether it's Missouri people, whether it's uh, the other eight schools in the big 12 and maybe Oklahoma's playing nice right now, is Texas really this difficult behind the scenes? Man, here's, here's the one thing I'll say about Texas. There are, there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen and that can be problematic uh, because, you know, you, you not only have your coaches and your administrators, but then you have your boosters and your donors that give a lot of money and they want to say, you know, they want to, they want to have a say on everything. But I think Crystal Conte's done a really good job, Aaron. I really do. And, you know, I look at, I look at the sec kind of like the new England Patriots, you know, and the Patriots would bring in all of these soup, Corey Dillon, content, Moss. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the whole mindset was, all right, it doesn't work. Bye. And I understand this is kind of a little different world, but the SEC doesn't have buyouts. You know, if you want to go, it's like, all right, hey, see you later. We'll replace you. So I can't help but think that, you know, the SEC, kind of the mindset is we want you come play. Come break your programs here. We're going to have a blast. We're going to make a lot of money. We're going to run college sports. But you know what? If if you start trying to be the lead dog or whatever, go. You know, go be independent. Go do what you need to do. I just – I feel like that mindset is if you're going to create problems, you know, you got enough issues that we can deal with. So I, I could be off. I've never had a problem with Texas. I think that, you know, they're – just from the people I deal with, Chris Del Conte's uh, done an incredible job as their athletic director. You know, they're, they're support guys. They're play-by-play guy. Craig Way is one of the best dudes on the planet. Their coaches have always come on with us, even though we're Oklahoma guys. So, yeah, I, I think their biggest problem is just making sure they've got everyone kind of corralled on the booster side. And I think in that, these dudes now understand, all right, we're stepping up. So we've got to step up when it comes to money or when it comes to support, or maybe when it comes to backing off a little bit. Uh, and I think you're going to, I think you're going to see, I don't want to say fall in line. I think you're going to see guys be a little bit smarter about when they step up, when they speak out and how involved they try to be because they want to get better. They want to beat Texas A&M. They want to beat Oklahoma. Uh, and I, again, I'm not saying it's going to be easy and smooth, but I also don't think that this is a conference that once you get into, you start you start messing around with that kind of garbage. All right. Well, then that's the last one. How about this? The, la- the last, last, last one. Trading in Manhattan for Athens, Ames for <laughs> Baton Rouge. How excited? Listen, I know you got to be politically correct here, but you got to be pretty excited to get to some of these stadiums and some of these college towns, huh? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, Aaron, I'm a big – I'm a big broad picture guy too. I love covering college basketball and women's hoops and women. I, I'm a big softball. I'm the voice of the Sooner softball team. Covering Which won the baseball. national championship, by the way. So That's yeah, right. You know. Fifth, let's go get my ring. But the the thing that is amazing to me is how much, yeah, you know, I I find myself getting excited about that. But then coming back to earth a bit and saying, man, it, I could almost drive to 
you know, to, to Lubbock with my eyes closed. Now you wouldn't suggest that, but I don't need my <laughs> maps on. I, I could get to Ames without the maps on. I mean, you know, Manhattan, Lawrence, they're not short drives, but you know, these are planned. You got your restaurants that you go to when you go there and you got your people that you see. So I'm going to, the people of the big 12 are great. The people at Kansas state, Kansas have always been great. The people at Iowa state are incredible. There's friends that you make there. So that part's going to suck. But with the politically correct stuff out of the way, holy smoke, can you imagine primetime in Athens, uh, Oklahoma, and Georgia, and all of a sudden that red comes on in the stadium, that place is rocking between the hedges. You know, we went to Tennessee in 2013, I want to say off the top. No, no, it was was after that. It was Baker. Baker Mayfield, that was like his first great game. I remember that, yeah. And Tennessee wasn't very good, but that place – was amazing. I they they instead of turn down for what it was third down for what, and I still right. hear it in my head. Oh wow. okay. So yeah. So I mean, I get I get goosebumps just thinking about it because those atmospheres are what college football is all about. I mean, ty- are you kidding me? Registering on the Richter scale potentially in the Bayou at Baton Rouge. This is this is something that this program, not just the football program, this athletic department has needed and wanted for a long time. And I'm here to tell you, AT, uh, they're going to be ready for it. It's going to be exciting. And I can't wait to truly dive into what a schedule, what divisions or pods, whatever it's going to look like, because I think it's going to really be, it's going to be fun for fans of all sports. By the way, I think I buried the lead on this whole interview. Uh, The Sooner Express and softball is coming through and they're not slowing down for anybody. They're about to take the SEC by storm. What'd you guys go like 50 and two during the regular season or something this year? Yeah. And every team that beat them, they ended up beating them twice, which is kind of wild. If you think about it, they lost to Georgia. They beat Georgia in the second game of a doubleheader, then knocked them out of the world series. Uh, They lost Oklahoma state, uh, beat them twice. They lost to James Madison, Madison, beat them twice, right? And then they lost to Florida State and beat them twice. So, in fact, there was a run before the Florida State and, and, and the World Series where every team that had beat them, they'd, they had run-ruled them. They had run-ruled Oklahoma <laughs> State and Georgia. So, hey, guys, you, get on it. The softball training is a fun one, and I'm telling you, putting these two programs in the SEC is just going to be even more incredible for the sport. Well, listen, as America's foremost college baseball uh, fan for about two weeks this spring, <laughs> I can't even imagine, you know, Kyler Murray now at Oklahoma going to uh, going to, to, to uh, you know, Lindsey Nelson Field at uh, Tennessee or uh, oh. uh, Arkansas hey, or whatever. So we, we went to Baton Rouge for the Super Regional in 2012, I believe it was. It was Jonathan Gray versus Aaron Nola. Bro, it was the most amazing baseball environment I've ever been a part of. Now, granted, that was super regional on the way to the College World Series, but that's that's going to be yes. every conference weekend. We've seen Ole Miss. We've seen Mississippi State's crowd. And look, Mississippi State just won the national championship. Arkansas is right. Aaron, I, I say this without hyperbole or getting carried away. Every single sport is seeing an increased level of competition and fan injury, in, energy outside of maybe basketball, right? Men's hoops is pretty special in the Big 12. So is women's hoops. But beyond that, gymnastics. You know, it's, it's incredible what this is going to do for Oklahoma and for Texas. You know what? It just means more. Now it means just more. Means more baby. Too, baby. All right, Chris <laughs> Blank. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Plank Show. Uh, listen to him on Fox Sports Radio on Sundays. And obviously, if, if you didn't get the sense that this man knows – the Sooners, the Big 12 footprint, and soon – 
coming to an SEC stadium near you. Chris Blank, I appreciate the time, my man. Aaron, I appreciate you, man, and uh, thanks so much for having me on. All right, everybody, I am back. It's good to be back. And first of all, I hope you enjoyed the segment with Chris Plank. I know we've been doing a lot of Texas-Oklahoma stuff on this podcast, but I truly do believe, listen, if I'm going to bring on a guest, I want it to be somebody that is going to teach you something. And Chris Plank, Oklahoma football sideline reporter, Oklahoma insider, there's nobody better to talk this specific topic about than Chris Plank. So I hope you enjoyed it. I will probably have Chris Plank on again soon, depending on how these realignment talks come. But with that said, I do want to switch gears because I don't think a lot of you guys know this. The NBA draft is on Thursday. And I think it's the quietest lead-up to an NBA draft that I can ever remember. We will get into why in a moment. But I also think once it starts on Thursday, we're going to have a blast kind of talking about it and thinking about it. I should mention Friday we will have a bonus episode recapping the NBA draft. But I just bring it up to very simply say the NBA draft is a fun night. Even if we're not super hyped about it, it is a fun night where everybody, you know, we kind of get to see all our favorite college players. Where do they end up? We try to figure out who's going to work, who's not, all that stuff. And so with the NBA draft on Thursday, what I want to do is take a minute and really just hit on a few different things. What I want to do is I'm going to hit on five what I believe to be really big topics heading into the NBA draft. From there, I will hit on five players that I believe in some way, shape, or form are being undervalued. Now, some of them are still going to be lottery picks, but I don't think people are talking about them enough. Some are going to be second rounders, on and on and on. And then from there, I am going to give five players that I do believe are overrated heading into the draft. So let's get into the five big storylines. And the first one is this. Why is there no buzz to this draft? It, it's really interesting because, you know, I have a few buddies that, that are listeners of this show, and I'm always kind of bouncing ideas off of them. What should I talk about? What shouldn't I talk about? And one of them, I, I hit up a couple of them, both with this question. Is there a topic on the NBA draft? And, and I think a lot of people, even college basketball diehards, are like, wait, the NBA draft is this week? Is that right? That doesn't sound, but it is. And so I don't know if it is because of the fact, uh, you know, I think it's it's a few different things, right? I think, one, the NBA season starts late, the NBA season ends late, so it's now the middle of July before we crown an NBA champion, and then you look up, and training camp and football is basically starting. So we're talking Aaron Rodgers, we're talking Olympics, we're talking Simone Biles, all of those kind of things. And I think you're just kind of like, wow, oh, okay, the NBA draft is here. And so I think that's part of it. I don't think the players are uncompelling, but I do think the fact that we don't have a single player from Kentucky or Duke projected in the lottery, that probably plays a role where normally we'd see Coach K, we'd see John Calipari, we'd see Bill Self, we'd see Tom Izzo uh, on ESPN, on First Take, on Fox Sports, whatever, talking about their guys, and I just don't think that's the case. I mean, we have a situation where, you know, the top three college players drafted will very likely be from Oklahoma State, USC, and Gonzaga, and so I just bring it up to say that is the biggest story to me. I cannot believe how little buzz there is going into the NBA draft. Number two is really number one, and that's this. Is Cade Cunningham definitely going number one? Now, I think he is, 
But it was worth noting that over the last couple of days, the Detroit Pistons uh, brought in a few different guys. They've, they've said publicly, hey, we're open to all these different choices and all that good stuff. But I do believe at the end of the day, Kate Cunningham will be the number one pick in the draft. Friend of the Aaron Torres podcast. And the thing that stands out about Cade and, and going back, listening to the interview that I had with him, also uh, interviewing him when he was in high school, he is just, it's not just about his talent, which is there, average 20 points, six rebounds, four and a half or four assists in Big 12 play. It's that he is such a great leader, too. And I know some of you guys are probably tired of me talking about him, overhyping him, whatever. But what stands out to me, it's not only the talent, but he is, in addition to an insanely talented player, he is a culture changer as well. You could say a lot of things about Oklahoma State, good program before he got there. They were great by the end of last season. They were probably one of the 15 to 10, 10 to 15 best teams in college basketball by the end of the year, if you remember. They beat Baylor in the Big 12 tournament, which shows you just how good they were. They were one of only two teams to beat Baylor uh, last season. They beat West Virginia twice in the last week of the season. They beat uh, uh, Oklahoma twice in the last week of the season. So Cade Cunningham not only changed, uh, not only statistically was great at Oklahoma, but changed the culture. And that is why I believe that Detroit will not be able to pass him up. He is a culture changer. He will go number one. The third topic, I believe, is who's number two. And it's really interesting because the Houston Rockets have this pick. Initially, I think the buzz was Evan Mobley from USC. I think a lot of us thought that Jalen Suggs from Gonzaga would end up being the pick. To be blunt, if it was my choice, I probably would have gone Jalen Suggs. But it appears as though it is going to be Jalen Green, who is the player, for people who do not remember, that was part of the G League Ignite program. That is the G League program that basically trained all offseason all season long without really having very many games to be played. Now, in defense of the Houston Rockets, let me just say this. It would not be my pick. I'd take Jalen Suggs, but I understand where they're coming from because the Houston Rockets are in an interesting scenario where they are in a complete, complete rebuild from top to bottom. Last year, obviously, they trade James Harden, they trade Russell Westbrook, and they need to go get the guy that they believe is the best player available to them. And while I don't personally think Jalen Green is necessarily guaranteed to be the best player, I can see the argument where they would think that he could be the best player. Six foot six, crazy athlete. I mean, he's the kind of kid that could win a dunk contest someday if he kind of uh, enters and puts his mind to it. He is a great, you know, he's a good but streaky three-point shooter. And so I just bring it up to say that this is a kid that has the talent to be the best player in this draft. If I looked up in 5, 10, 15 years and he ends up being the guy with the most all-star games out of everybody in this draft, it would not surprise me. So who's number two? I do expect it to be Jalen Green from the G League Ignite team. And we'll see because Jalen Suggs is really good. Evan Mobley is really good. But everything is trending toward Jalen Green at number two. The fourth topic that I find to be really interesting Everything might be coming up the Toronto Raptors. And so the Toronto Raptors have the fourth pick in the draft. They missed the NBA playoffs this year. But never forget, they won the NBA title two years ago. They were one game away from making the Eastern Conference Finals in the NBA bubble in 2020. This year, just a weird year where they've played late into the playoffs two straight years. Then, if you remember, they weren't even allowed to go back to Canada. They played the entire year in Tampa Bay. The team bottoms out. They end up with the fourth overall pick. And it looks like they're going to end up with Jalen Suggs from Gonzaga. And if you think about it, Kate Cunningham's going to go one. I believe Jalen Green is going to go two. Evan Mobley from USC is going to go three. That's going to leave them with Jalen Suggs. So how about being the fourth pick in the draft and having the chance, to, and by the way, two years removed from an NBA championship and having to draft potentially the best player 
player in the draft in Jalen Suggs, a guy that has won everywhere he's gone, contributed everywhere he's gone, been a great teammate, tough, mentally tough, physically tough. Now he's got flaws. He's got to work on his three-point shot, all that stuff. But I would just think it'd be incredible to be the Toronto Raptors. You're probably going to lose Kyle Lowry in free agency, and you get to replace him with Jalen Suggs. The final of the five marquee topics to me, what do the Golden State Warriors do? The Golden State Warriors actually have two lottery picks, one of them coming from the Minnesota Timberwolves courtesy of the Andrew Wiggins trade. The other one is their own because they've missed the playoffs. And so you talk about a, to use a terrible pun, a golden opportunity for the Golden State Warriors. They have a chance to really upgrade their roster going into this year. What I find really interesting about the Golden State Warriors, I looked this up. You know who are the three favorites in the NBA according to Vegas going into next year? It's not the Milwaukee Bucks who just won the title. It's not the Phoenix Suns who just won the West. The Lakers and Brooklyn Nets are one and two, and Golden State is number three. And I think what Vegas sees is this. We're going to get a fully healthy Steph Curry, who of course was playing at an MVP level this year. We are going to get Klay Thompson hopefully back, and we're going to get Draymond Green back. And on top of that, you now get to add two young players on rookie contracts to this team. And so what's going to be fascinating to me is I'm guessing that Golden State knows that their window is now and knows that they have to draft guys that are ready to play right away. And so I don't think they're going to go after, you know, the one and done guys that aren't ready to play. I think they're going to go after veterans, a Davion Mitchell from Baylor, a Chris Duarte from uh, Oregon, guys like that, because their window is wide open. And you talk about an almost perfect scenario where you have the three veterans, Clay Thompson coming off injury, but you can supplement them with two young players that are hopefully ready to play right away the Golden State Warriors are going to be fascinating to me all right with that said let's get into five players that I believe are being undervalued and undervalued just to be clear is going to be a very loose term because you know undervalued to me could mean we're not talking about them enough they're being projected too low whatever the case may be and I think you'll understand why when I start and the first guy on this list I'm going to say is UConn's own James Booknight and if you look at mock drafts I think you'd sit there and say Torres how can you say he's being undervalued he's projected basically everywhere to be a top 10 pick and so from my perspective, the reason I'm saying he's undervalued is because I do think he has a chance to be one of the two or three best players in this draft. Averaged 18 per game as a sophomore this year. His Some of his numbers went down, but that is deceptive for people who do not follow UConn basketball because he was a guy that was awesome as a freshman. I've said it all along. If there was a 2020 NCAA tournament, I think UConn could have snuck in, maybe won the AAC in their final year in the AAC. And there's a chance James Booknight could have gone pro. There's there was actually buzz I saw some buzz that the Oklahoma City Thunder were actually inquiring if he was going to enter the NBA draft last year because they believed that they would have drafted him instead he comes back his numbers go down a little bit in large part because he has an elbow injury but anybody that knows anything about an elbow injury knows if you're not a starting pitcher in baseball uh, it was kind of fluky it was happenstance his numbers went a little bit down because of it but before that injury he was on fire dropped 40 against Creighton and was one of the best players in college basketball so he's not a guy that we think of in that Jalen Suggs, Jalen Green, Cade Cunningham mode, but if, if he made three or four NBA All-Star teams in his career and was a really good player, I would not be surprised. Number two is Moses Moody, and it, it's kind of the same deal, is we get so focused on the one-and-dones, and as we should, and I think everyone's so focused on Jalen Suggs from Gonzaga and Evan Mobley from USC and Scotty Barnes from Florida State, 
I don't think people realize how awesome Moses Moody was last year at Arkansas. 17 points per game as a freshman in the SEC is nothing to scoff at. And what I like about him is a couple things. One, he plays defense. And two, his game is kind of tailored for the NBA. Six foot seven wing, can shoot threes, plays defense, two-way player. And I just think he's a guy that teams are just going to drool over and say, oh my God, this guy has everything that we're looking for. I've seen him projected to go anywhere from, you know, eight to 14. I think he's going to go somewhere in the top 10. He is too talented. Number three, I am going to say Jared Butler from Baylor. And Davion Mitchell from Baylor has gotten a ton of buzz over the last couple days, last couple weeks, last couple months, whatever. But what stands out to me about Jared Butler, you watch Baylor, he was their best player all year. 17 per game, 42% from three. Now he had some medical conditions that people were worried about going into this NBA draft, but over the last couple days, he's been cleared, he's ready to go. And this is just a guy that I think he should be, based on college production, one of the ten, you know, ten top 10 picks, but he's obviously not going to be. But he is a guy that can get buckets, that can score, that can hit an open three. And I think there's going to be some team that made the playoffs last year that's going to draft this guy and just hit a complete home run. He is a guy that can step in. He can play right away. He can contribute. He can be a difference maker. Love Jared Butler. Number four, friend of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Io DeSumo. Another guy, All-American. And this is what's kind of screwy about the NBA draft and what drives me crazy. Io DeSumo, had he left after his freshman year, when he wasn't even close to his good, would have gone as a potential first-round pick. Decides to come back. Last year, same deal. There's COVID. He doesn't know what's going on. Decides to come back for his junior year. He's an All-American, Big Ten, uh, you know, not whatever. He, I don't know if he was player of the year because of Luca Garza, but was incredible in his, in his final season at Illinois. You talk about a guy that averaged 20 points, six rebounds, five assists per game. His three-point shooting went from, uh, you know, 29% in 2020 to 39% in 2021 and it's just a guy it makes no sense that he is falling as far as he is projected as a second round pick I don't get it I don't like it I would assume another player that's so underrated really quickly the fifth player Bones Highland from VCU just a quick athletic guard quick twitch at NBA athleticism I think he has a chance to be really good this segment's going long so I'll be quick but Bones Highland is the fifth guy James Booknight Moses Moody Jared Butler Io DeSumo Moses uh my uh, why am I tripping over the last guy Bones Highland is the fifth guy that I believe is over underrated. Now let's get to the overrated. And, and these will be quick, and, and you'll you'll hear why and you'll know why real quick. First one, Jalen Johnson at Duke. Um, guy has never contributed to winning at any level. He quit at Duke, and people say, oh, he didn't quit. He opted. No, he quit. He quit when things got tough. He quit when things weren't going well. And Duke was clearly better without him. They went on a winning streak the second that he left, and he wasn't playing all that well when he was there. Now, I understand he's six foot nine. He could step out. He could shoot. He could do this. He could do that. But at some point, you can't just have tools. You have to take those tools and incorporate them into what you are doing. And so because of it, he's one of those guys. Every single year, I hear about the guy has these tools. He has this wingspan. He has this vertical jump. At some point, you got to put all of it together on a basketball court. I'm not buying it. He has been falling during the draft process. I think that's going to continue because I just don't think he's going to be a very good NBA player. Number two, Jaden Springer from Tennessee. Just had Rick Barnes on this week. Love Rick Barnes. Love Tennessee. Blah, 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 blah. He's another one. Um, I don't know what he does well. And that's the thing. He's a great athlete. He does play hard to his credit. Keon Johnson, the other Tennessee freshman, plays hard as well. But I don't know what he does at an NBA level right now. 
And so if you're drafting him in the first round, like you need to be able to do something. He's not a great three-point shooter. He's not a great slasher. He's not a great scorer. He's not a great defender. He's just kind of a guy that is, you know, I, I don't even know how to describe who he is or what he is capable of. I think he's a fine basketball player, but I don't think there's anything that stands out that makes him elite in my mind. And if you're not elite, if you don't have one NBA skill, I just don't know how that translates at the NBA level. So again, good season at Tennessee, average 12.5 per game. I know he shot the ball reasonably well, but I just don't see what he does at an NBA level. Staying in the SEC, BJ Boston, Kentucky. I think you guys know where I'm going with this. There's nothing else to say other than the kid wasn't that good. I don't care what his high school ranking was. I don't care how much his high school team won. At the college level, he did not contribute. Wasn't a great three-point shooter. Wasn't a great passer. Didn't get other people involved. Didn't make other people better. And he's really skinny. And he has one of those frames that I don't know that he is going to get bigger over the next couple years. And so I look at him, if he's not making three-point shots, if he's not making a difference, I just don't know what he does at the NBA level. He's one of those that I feel like, okay, at the end of the day, yes, you're drafting him on potential, but you still have to kind of figure out what does, at some point, that potential has to turn into something, and it hasn't yet, and I am just not sold that this guy is going to be a difference maker in the NBA at any point. I think he's one of these guys that could get sent down to the G League to start next year and never find his way back up. Number four, and I hate to make this an SEC thing, but I'm just going to say it, Joshua Primo from Alabama. Primo was the youngest player in college basketball last year, and he is the youngest player in this draft. He wasn't born until December 24th, 2002. You want to feel old? Christmas 2002. What were you doing? Josh Primo was getting born, and now he's going to be an NBA player. But when I look at Josh Primo, um, what I would say is this, is that every year there's a guy that the NBA evaluators, the, the media evaluators, kind of sit there and say, well, you know, he's, he, he hasn't done it yet, but he's so young and he's got so many tools and, you know, somebody's going to take a flyer on him. And then it doesn't happen. You know, last year there was a kid named Kareem Mane. You can look him up, M-A-N-E. He was a kid from Canada, no different than, um, than Joshua Primo. And he was a guy that I heard in the lead-up to the draft, all this buzz about, uh, you know, he has the chance to be this and he has a chance to be that and it's all tools. And he ended up going undrafted. And he didn't play very much in the NBA last year. And I'm not saying Josh Primo will go undrafted. I just don't think he's a first-round talent. I think he would have been a first-round talent next year had he come back to college, where, by the way, he would have been younger than a lot of the freshmen in college basketball. But he decided to go. I hope I'm wrong. I don't wish him any ill will. I just don't think he's going to be very good. The final one, Zaire Williams from Stanford, McDonald's All-American. Uh, great story. But again, tools. You got to put it together at some point. This was a kid that unfortunately uh, had to miss time for personal reasons during the season. In his defense, Stanford had a very bizarre year in which they basically didn't play a home game. They couldn't even go back to campus for weeks on end. He had to leave for personal reasons. He comes back. He's not the same player. I see him as a mid-lottery pick in these mock drafts. I could see him falling much, much, much further. All right, I think that's it for this uh, episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. We covered a lot of ground in an hour and change, so I want to thank you guys for listening. And as I said, bonus episode on Friday of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast as I will have a little bit of an announcement to lead the show, and then we will talk NBA Draft. May run one of my old interviews, Cade Cunningham, Io DeSumo, something like that, uh, but extra episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast on Friday. Before we get out of here, I want to remind you, 
please make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Bonus episode Friday, but until then, shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. I will be back Friday. Bonus episode, Aaron Torres Sports Podcast.